UN report has sounded another alarm on climate change. It says the world faces 2.5 to 2.9 degrees Celsius of warming above pre-industrial levels if governments do not boost action. Now that's well above the target of 1.5 degrees adopted by the, the next Paris round of national climate plans will be pivotal. These plans must be backed with the finance, technology, support and partnerships to make them possible. The task of leaders at COP28 is to make sure that happens. In the face of unprecedented environmental challenges, the international community is gearing up for a pivotal moment in tackling climate change. The 28th Conference of the Parties, or COP28, scheduled to take place in Dubai. This gathering of world leaders, scientists, activists and policymakers promises to be a defining chapter in the ongoing effort to address the climate crisis. The key topic of the conference, taking place from 30th November to 12th December, is likely to be how to close the gap between current plans for emission reduction and what is needed to put the world on a path to rein in global warming. The COP28 this year is a special event. Since the signing of the Paris Agreement during COP21, this is the first time for the world to sit together and conduct a comprehensive evaluation of its effectiveness. A week prior to the opening of the conference, we chatted with Chinese explorer and NGO co-founder Hu Jiaojiao who set forth to Dubai with her team to deliver speeches at the China Pavilion of the conference. My name is Hu Jiaojiao. The surname Hu, which literally means tiger in Chinese, is rather special and leaves my name easily memorable. Our team will travel to Dubai on November 29th and remain there until early December to participate in the conference. This time, we will deliver a speech on glacier conservation in China and present the latest studies on China's glacier and cryosphere research. In fact, this isn't Hu Jiaojiao's debut on our show, as some of you might remember from a previous episode in March, where her glaciologist husband, Wen Shu, presented their NGO's cause in glacier protection. My name is Wen Shu. I'm a scientist and an explorer. Actually, what I'm doing now is more about combating climate change. Me and my team established an NGO called the Polar Hub. We wanted to do this in order to highlight the changes in glaciers and the influence of climate change. At the same time, we hope to send out a message that Chinese scientific researchers are taking steps to address the impact of climate change. People living near the polar regions are the first to notice that the world's coldest places are getting warmer and warmer. But many others still remain unaware of or are unaffected by this fact. Therefore, it is up to explorers and glacier researchers like us to spread the word and to call for more attention to the warming glaciers and the polar region. My husband and I founded Polar Hub together. 
Now, I'm in charge of the NGO's operation as well as our projects. In the meantime, I'm also an explorer who is in love with the glaciers and the natural environment, which is a big reason why I'm doing what I do. May 2017, mountaineer and glaciologist Wen Xu was in the Himalaya at 5,000 500 meters altitude. After more than a decade's outdoor exploration and researching, plus nearly six years of experience running their NGO on glacier protection, Hu Zhaojiao and her husband are often invited by environmentalism panels worldwide to share their cause. Just earlier this month, the couple, along with a team of Chinese scientists and researchers, participated in the One Planet Summit for Glaciers and Poles held in Paris. What struck me the most during the summit was the Q&A session after Chinese scientist Kang Shichang wrapped up his speech on ecological and cryosphere changes. Initially, we assumed the other participants would be interested in his presentation, but the first question he received was from a French scientist who asked him how Sino-US relations would affect glacier conservation cooperation around the world. Furthermore, the scientist stated that if China and the United States were to work together, fellow scientists worldwide would expect a more profound global collaboration, particularly in cryosphere and polar region studies. Indeed, there's no denying that the world is continually captivated and influenced by the dynamics between China and the United States. In July 2023, John Kerry, the U.S. President's Special Envoy on Climate Change, paid a visit to China. His trip marked the first time the two countries had touched on climate matters since the previous August, bringing the world high expectations that China and the U.S. would resume working together on climate issues. Take Antarctica, for example. It currently doesn't belong to any specific country, but rather is a communal territory of mankind that's governed by an international partnership, which makes it a model for global cooperation. Therefore, perspectives from the world's major powers like China and the United States will surely experience ripple effects on global issues such as combating climate change in the polar regions. Meanwhile, who believes that whether the two countries can make further advances in climate cooperation will also be a major focus of attention at this year's COP28. I believe that cooperation between China and the United States on climate change has always been a source of attention. And whenever there are frictions in Sino-US relations, the icebreaker is usually a discussion on climate change. On November the 15th, China and the United States issued a joint statement entitled The Sunny Land Statement on Enhancing Cooperation to Address the Climate Crisis. We also studied the statement and discovered that it is more detailed and focused on practical implementations. Just as Hu Jiaojiao mentions, the two governments said in the joint statement that they will launch a working group on enhancing climate action in the 2020s to restart bilateral dialogues on energy policies and strategies. Some of the practical measures include promoting energy transition, circular economy and resource efficiency, low carbon and sustainable provinces, states and cities. 
Based on her observations, Hu Jiaojiao happily shares that such collaborations will bring help to deepen policy exchanges on energy saving and carbon reducing solutions that will ultimately help make a difference in the polar regions. Meanwhile, Hu Jiaojiao and Wen Shu are also actively seeking glacier research collaboration between their organization and other international facilities. 2022年,我們是一起到達了美國的冰心庫。In 2022,we visited a US-based ice core laboratory where the American scientists store the ice cores they drilled from the glaciers for future research. They were very open about their technologies and shared a lot on how the ice cores were preserved as well as how their organization operates. We learned so much from them and were told that if we were to start a similar ice core bank in China, they would be happy to provide us with knowledge as well as technical support. Having seen with her own eyes how the glaciers around the globe are melting much faster than scientists' expectations, it is the wish of glacier scientists worldwide to work together on the same agenda. As a participant and practitioner of this endeavor, Hu Jiaojiao suggests that great powers of the globe should take the lead during climate discussions such as the ongoing COP28 to incorporate diverse voices from all corners of the world. I always emphasize that when we discuss the future of the polar regions, voices from both the polar regions and the developing world should be heard. This includes not only areas near the North and South Poles, but also the Third Pole, which encompasses several developing countries surrounding the Qinghai-Tibet Plateau in Central, South and East Asia. On this notion, I think U.S.-China climate cooperation will take a good lead and we look forward to more developing countries joining forces in the cause of glacier conservation. Wen Shu once told us that he met Hu Jiaojiao in the university mountaineering team, where they cultivated not only a long-lasting love for one another, but also for the lifestyle of an explorer. My wife used to work as a consultant and had a stable job. Later, she decided to quit her job to help with our exploration plan. She too enjoys mountaineering, and we met as college classmates who both joined the school's mountaineering team. But love for outdoor experiences wasn't the sole reason of her resignation. She explained to me that she recognized the urgency and significance of combating climate change and that she was determined to act alongside me. That's correct. I started mountaineering and conducting outdoor research since 2008 when I was studying at the China University of Geosciences in Beijing. But I considered both as personal hobbies, something to be kept separate from securing a job after graduation. Back then, I didn't really consider running an NGO or going on explorations as my career. But the turning point arrived when I joined a rafting project along the Ganges River in India in 2015. The project Hu Jiaojiao mentions is called Access Water, which was founded by two famous polar explorers, Anne Bancroft from the US 
and Liv Arneson from Norway. Starting with the Ganges expedition, Bancroft and Arneson planned on handpicking one woman from each of the six continents to form an international team of eight ladies. Together, they went on to undertake water expeditions and educational programs on one continent every few years. Hu Zhao Zhao explains that she was first introduced to the Access Water project when she helped to organize a lecture in 2011 for Liv Arneson at the university. Though majoring in enterprise management, she was already a passionate aficionado of mountain climbing and rafting. So, when she received an email from Arneson asking if she was interested in joining the project, she accepted the offer without hesitation. In October 2015, therefore, the team spent 60 days traveling along the Ganges River in India. They trekked for two weeks to the river's source, the Gangotri Glacier, then drifted over 2,500 kilometers down the Ganges to Kolkata, where the river flows into the sea. In fact, that experience had brought about a lot of changes in my life. I used to think it was merely a fun drifting activity, but it was much more than that. We also connected with local NGOs who led us to the villages and cities along the river while we were floating. We went to local schools and communities and met the children. And I believe it was fascinating that the journey was never restricted to a few experiences, but rather it was opened up to all possibilities. We were able to chat with people from various cultural backgrounds while following the waterway, making it a very inspiring exploration process. When holding talks and conversations with local villagers, the ladies explained how glaciers melt into waters and rivers, as well as why it matters to keep a clean access to water. Through sharing personal exploration stories of their own, the team aimed to inspire the locals, especially the children, so that in the near future, they could cultivate their own love and passion in protecting the natural environment and resources around them. Yes, absolutely. The Ganges expedition was mainly about engaging in water-related topics with the young. And in the meantime, we were also strongly encouraged by their feedback. The local people were very interested in what we had to share. Each time we stopped at a village, there were crowds of people gathered together who chatted with us. Most importantly, I saw sparkling lights in the girls' and the young women's eyes when they heard about our journeys. It was as if they saw a different lifestyle in us, where women broke gender norms and followed their passion to be explorative in nature. I think it was a very powerful observation both for them and for us. Speaking of breaking gender norms, Hu Zhao Zhao continues that there is another important message that she's been aiming to send out. You see, my husband is an explorer and so am I. But when being interviewed or during daily communications, he seldom gets questions like, how do you balance your work schedule and family time? On the contrary, normally that would either be the first question or the most expected one that people prepare for me. 
and just as our reporter quietly and shamefully crosses off a few lines from the remaining question list at the other end of the phone line, Jojo continues. I think that reflects a big variation of social expectation on different genders. It's something so deeply rooted in all aspects of society that people just naturally assume that being capable of attending to both career and family is what defines a woman's success. While in reality, this logic applies to literally everyone, regardless of gender. She mentions that many of the female explorers who have had the greatest influence on her, many of whom are also mothers and wives in their families, share the same characteristic, that they will eliminate all possible external interference and simply have faith in themselves while working hard to achieve their goals. For female entrepreneurs and, say, organization founders like me, such an internal drive is the core value that makes us what we are, especially when we encounter difficulties. Rather than calling for support from others, I think our own steady willingness to overcome the difficulties is what matters the most. That is also why I keep mentioning in many previous talks that nature treats us all fairly. For it never sees you differently other than a human being, no matter what gender or age group you belong to based on social standards. When people explore in nature, it gives everybody the exact same survival challenges, whether it's extreme weather or harsh living conditions. Under those circumstances, everyone has the same opportunity to learn how to cope with those challenges in order to survive. And in the meantime, we discover our own strength and start to seek ways that lead to our destination. So, in a way, I see nature as our teacher who guides us to make adaptations and find your path. Born and raised in southern China's Yunnan province, Hu Zhaojiao's family is one of the Yi nationality, an ethnic group that is based in the mountainous regions who naturally have a close bond to the natural world. Growing up, Zhao Zhao recalls that she and her friends would follow the local traditions and go pick mushrooms in the mountains every year. Meanwhile, the elders in the family would teach them to remain grateful and respectful to nature, which has become a rule of life for her even until this day. Ever since I was little, my grandma would tell me to never complain or practice bad deeds in front of a well, because water is a precious natural resource, and in a way it represents the holiness of nature, so we must be respectful of it. I think I really took it seriously as a child, and because of these tales and stories, I became very curious about nature, even at a young age. Therefore, with an inherited love for nature in her blood, plus the realization she was awakened to after the Ganges rafting. Hu Zhaojiao made the decision to follow her passion for outdoor explorations instead of burying herself in office work. Now as the co-founder of an NGO, an explorer and a mother, Zhaojiao has never regretted her decision. I identify as a woman and an explorer. 
Because of my previous adventures as well as my love for nature, I've been actively engaged in many environmental projects and have transformed that from a hobby to my career. But most proudly, I'm also a mother of two girls who are the very reason and the biggest drive behind all that I do. To both Hu Jiao Jiao and Wen Shu, their children are the best gifts to them. But at the same time, a main reason for them to work harder and faster at their cause. Both environmentalists and explorers, they've witnessed the outcomes of global warming more directly than most people. And like all parents, they also want their children to grow up in a world with a beautiful natural environment, where the waters are clean and glaciers are not just a myth that only exist in textbooks. Zhao Zhao says that it is of vital importance that her daughters, as well as the next generation in general, learn about ecological restoration and how to deal with climate change. Many female explorers are also mothers. And as mothers, it is in our nature to care for our family, especially our children. We've got this responsibility to influence and guide them, and it is done differently in every family. But for me personally, carrying out environmental protection projects and engaging in glacier conservatory activities while encouraging my children to love nature are my way of being responsible for their future. Every year, Hu Jiao Jiao takes the girls back to their hometown in Yunnan to spend some quality time there with them. Together, they'll pick mushrooms and listen to the old tales of the Yi people, just like how it had been for Jiao Jiao when she was little. Though only four and six years old respectively, the two girls have already become young outdoor enthusiasts under their parents' influence. It's now a common scene in their family of four to travel all across China followed with numerous weekend trips and excursions. And when asked to introduce their parents at school or in kindergarten, my kids would proudly tell their friends and classmates that my mom and dad are the guardians of the earth, and their job is to protect our planet. And that's like the best acknowledgement of our work, but at the same time, kind of adding a bit of pressure on us to keep working harder, you know? When asked what difficulties she still encounters nowadays, after six years working as an environmentalist, Hu Zhao Zhao says that inspiring people to connect glacier protection to their day-to-day -day life remains a hard nut to crack. Many people find it difficult to relate glacier melting to their daily lives and believe it is too far away a problem for them to consider. So we usually mention in our talks that water is the source of all life, and the glaciers, in turn, are the sources of waters and rivers. As an example, the Qinghai-Tibet Plateau is known as the Water Tower of Asia, as it is the source of dozens of rivers that flow through Asian countries. Asian civilizations can thrive throughout time and space 
Because of this cyclical process in which water condenses into ice and then ice melts into water. Overall, no matter how far away you live from the glacier, it is an important part of our survival. And when we discuss glacier melting as a result of climate change, I'll say that everyone is included and everyone can be influenced. So, rather than sitting back and reading about how climate change is affecting the world, Hu Jiaojiao encourages people to embrace nature by walking into it. She believes that as we become aware of how the natural environment is changing through personal observation, more people will join the effort to protect Mother Nature. I think many of us are framed by our daily lives, which limits our imagination of the future and confuses us on how to solve the problems at hand. However, nature provides us with an abundance of diverse opportunities to imagine and study. That is why I hope more of us can walk into nature to feel its pulse and see how it's changing. Because the solution we seek may be right there, in the wild, waiting for us to discover. And with that, we conclude this episode of Footprints. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Jones. Special thanks to our reporter, Liu Yushan. If you're interested in hearing more about the lives of ordinary but incredible people in China, Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Just key in footprints and you can find more stories anytime, anywhere. We'll see you next time.